The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The first verse there of our psalm, Psalm 19, opens up the first half of our psalm, and it points our attention to one simple place that we can check every day and be reminded of God and of his spectacular goodness in creation. Just look up, the psalm says. Look up to the sky because the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That big blue expanse above our heads that reminds us every day that there's a universe above us and around us all the time, it also reveals God to us. And the shining example that the psalm puts forward in that, in verse 4, that dominates the sky every day, is the sun. In the skies he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. This language isn't literal, by the way. Uh, There is no physical tent at each end of the sky, you know, that the sun comes out of in the morning and and runs across the sky and goes back into uh, in the evening. Nor, of course, does the sun, you know, wake up like a person and run across the sky. The Bible is not cosmologically ignorant. This is poetry. This is poetry. We're in the book of Psalms, after all. It's poetry set to music. It's to the choir master, this says right at the top of our psalm. But while we can't read biblical poetry the same way that we'd read a piece of, say, biblical narrative, we nevertheless still read it for the underlying truth that it conveys to us. And so case in point... Uh, In this first part of the psalm, in verses 4 through 6, what is it saying? Sun comes up and sun goes down. Without that crucial detail, of course, there would be no life on earth, would there? And you and I would not be sitting here today looking at this psalm. But God has seen to it that there is life on earth. And the whole creation around us thrives under God's good design. The whole creation testifies. God knows what he is doing. That's the first truth that this psalm wants us to acknowledge. That however else we try to describe the simple daily reality of life on this flourishing earth, it ought to be clear enough for us to see that God is behind it all. And God is good. In what he's done, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims that all of this is is his work. This isn't all just down to blind chance. And so too, the psalm asks us to, to contemplate as part of that, you know, how reliable this natural testimony about God is. It, Every day, verse 2, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Every day, the sky is there, isn't it? (laughs) 
Every day the sun comes up and goes down again without fail. It's a continuous testimony to the glory of God in the wonder of creation. The psalm also reminds us that the whole earth knows this and receives this revelation. Verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The scope of this declaration, the glory of God, is cosmic. The sky is visible from everywhere on the planet. And to varying degrees, depending on you know the angle of incidence and all that sort of stuff, the sun, too, bathes the whole planet in its warmth and in its light as, as the days and seasons of the year unfold. The sky and the sun that lights up that sky are just the fundamental reality wrapped around the whole world. And of course, when our sun does go down at the end of the day, the sky that it leaves in its wake reveals a whole universe of suns out there in the far distance. And according to the Bible, in passages like this psalm, these are the kind of things that testify to God and to his workmanship. And that simple and constant natural revelation is is got to be one of the main reasons, I think, why every culture in human history has had a concept of God in one form or another. And why, you know, something like 95% of the world today still believes in God, because people can see God's work all around them, all the time, in creation. I mean, just look up to the sky, as the psalm suggests, and your perspective shifts. There's probably always been some people who reject that, of course, or or just plumb ignore it, as with any information about any topic. Some people are content to minimise the data down to just the simple mechanical sort of explanation, thinking only about the physical and mathematical laws of the universe, say, and, and deciding, or not not to worry about looking any deeper than that or thinking any more about it. The earth spins on its axis. Uh, That's why the sun goes down and comes up again. And so on and so forth with every other revelation in nature. They're happy to strike it all off, strike everything off. Even the laws of the universe themselves just strike it all down to just being residual artifact of blind events in a purely physical universe. The Bible offers a deeper view. The laws of the universe are not just happenstance. They were put in place by God for his glory. And to our unfathomable benefit, of course, starting uh, with our very existence. And in places like Psalm 19 here, we get tangible case examples that that we're told testify to that truth underneath all the observable mechanics in this world. God is behind it all. For those who don't see it that way or can't see it that way, the first section of the psalm here needs to find its mark. And of course, by the grace of God to all people, 
Even the sun itself will continue to pour forth knowledge day after day until at last, at the end, everyone will either accept this truth or be without excuse. In the meanwhile, we all live and breathe under the goodness of God's design. That's what the Bible claims. The second section of the psalm probably has more bearing on those of us who have come to see that first truth. Because if we have come to see that God created and sustains all things, the next point in the psalm is that God has also given us his word. He's revealed himself in the world around us, yes, but, uh, but he's also revealed himself to us more specifically in his word. And in his word to us, we've got so much more than that natural revelation in creation. Hearing God's word in these scriptures, we have God's will for us revealed. Here we have God's plan for us revealed. Here in these scriptures, we have revealed God's instructions to us. So the second part of the psalm celebrates that, celebrates God's word to us. In all these different synonyms from verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We should also note there that each line uh, in that little section clarifies this as the word of the Lord. Yahweh, Lord in all caps, is Yahweh, the God that we can know via general revelation, verses 1 through 6, by his work, is now clarified in these verses as Yahweh, the Lord. He's not just some God. He is a personal God, and this is his personal name. Always remember, whenever you see Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word underneath that is God's personal name, Yahweh. The Bible is the story of God personally revealing himself to his people. It's not just any old word that we need. It's this word from Yahweh that we need in the Bible. And there's a dozen things there about Yahweh's word to us, listed out in the few verses of the song there that we just read. It is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. It revives our soul. It makes us wise. It gladdens our heart. It brightens our eyes. It endures forever. And it is altogether righteous. When we read God's word, we know that it's good. Just like God's creation is good, so too his instruction to us is, is also good. So the flow of thought in this psalm seems to be something like this. Look around you at God's work, verses 1 through 6, and know that he is. 
and know that he is good. And then consider too God's word, verses 7 and on, and know that he is, and know that he is good. Or to put it another way, if we know that God sustains the whole universe, then we ought to trust the instruction he has given us too. Verse 10 shows the appropriate kind of response to his word to us in the Bible uh, and his instructions. Uh, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Which would you rather? Uh, Let's say, I don't know, about 800 pages of God's word or 800 pages pieces of honeycomb, or maybe 800 pieces of gold. I can tell you from very recent experience that to have a piece of sweet honeycomb in the house is to be constantly sneaking another piece every so often throughout the day. The Bible is sweeter than that. I'm afraid I can't tell you what it's like, though, to have gold in the house. (laughs) I always remember uh, one time when I was walking through the shopping centre at Lakeside, a a lady uh, at what turns out to be a gold exchange kiosk was calling out to me uh, from the aisle as I was just walking through. Do you have any unwanted gold, sir? Unwanted gold? (laughs) I don't even know what that is. Anyway, sorry, I said, I don't have any gold, just my wedding ring. As I walked off, I think she kind of looked at me with pity or something, as if I've missed out in life, or or life has just passed me over. I should have thought to tell her now that I can see it here in this psalm. Hey, you know what? You should see all my Bibles, though. God's instruction to us is more precious than gold. It's a very dramatic claim in verse 10 there, isn't it? But the point is clear and true. There is so much more to life. There is so much more to us than what our eyes and our instincts tend to lock onto all the time. We were created in God's image to be his people. And by his word to us, we can find guidance into that eternal significance that we were created for. Moreover, verse 11, by God's instruction is your servant warned. In keeping God's instruction, there is great reward. Instinctively, in our fallen nature, we think that keeping God's instructions would mean missing out, don't we? The psalm here corrects that sinful instinct we all kind of have. It's in God's word that reward can be found. 
And those things that God's word might have us let go of are things that we needed to be warned against because they are harmful to us. But this is the inbuilt bias of our fallen heart. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. In other words, we can't even see the depth and extent of our sin because our hearts deceive us. We tend to think in terms of sins as items, but the Bible declares over us sin as our very state of being. Verse 12 there, I think, is now leading us into our need for grace in all of this. Grace. Forgive us, Father, even for the sin that we can't even see. And the more time we spend in God's word, the more we come to realize the depth of that hidden sin, that we are just sinful by nature, with sin even hidden deep down in our nature, where we can't see it. Our minds and our hearts and our eyes are blind to it. And the more the Bible slowly leads us into grace. Grace for our hopeless case. And yet at the same time, into correction. Correction for that sin that we do come to see by the light of God's word. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And so through grace and light and correction, the great reward of verse 11 is that we are forgiven and then gradually reshaped in God's way for us. We become more attuned to our Creator God. And this more and more becomes our growing desire that God would keep working in us uh, such that the things on our heart and mind and tongue uh, would continually be recalibrated according to his word to us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. But the psalm gives us such great challenge in all of this, doesn't it? If we have come to know the God of the universe, then why is it that we so often and so easily hold back when it comes to his word? Why do we so easily think that we know better? How is it that we marvel at God's work in creation and think things like, oh, wow, look at this. God certainly knows what he is doing. But then we consider his word to us in the Bible and think, uh, you know, I don't know, look, maybe this was okay for people like thousands of years ago or something, but I'm not sure it really speaks to where I'm at. Think about it. 
Would it make any sense that God can know so perfectly and so cosmically in scope and yet so infinitesimally in the details of it all that he could know what is good for our physical existence in creation and not also know so perfectly, cosmically, infinitesimally what is good for our soul? Friends, God knows what he is doing. Not just in the creation that he so magnificently set in place for you and I and everyone else through history. No, so too he knows what is good for us in our soul. Hear the simple truth in the psalm. His word to us is every bit as good as his work in creation. But it's not enough for us to concede that God's work is good and therefore that God's word must be good as, as some point of you know, theology. We need to get to that point of conceding that God's word is good for us. And yet even when we do know that God's word is good for us, how often do we find ourselves in it? We habitually crave wisdom and guidance, and we habitually get it from everywhere. Family, friends, bloggers, tweeters and neighbours and co-workers and marketing agencies, even, you know, random shares on the social media feed might get our attention on a daily basis. As sure as the sun comes up and goes back down, our day involves seeking some kind of wisdom and guidance. But how often do we reach for the scriptures, for the ultimate wisdom and guidance? This psalm should challenge us to be in God's word all the time. Every day, reading it, meditating on it, praying over it, sharing it with friends. As surely as the sun comes up and goes back down, we are God's people. And we should be hearing what he says to us. So can we rise to the psalm's challenge in this? And don't be intimidated by the challenge. Just go for it. Just go for it. Just just wrestle with it. Wrestle with the Old Testament. Explore the New Testament. Dig around. Dig around and see what you can see in the Bible today. See what else you can find tomorrow. And then go back again and again. God's word is good for us. Sweeter than honeycomb and more precious than gold. And, and in God's word is great reward. By and by, you'll discover in the Bible God's desire for you. That you be saved from sin and brought into eternal life. And in the meantime, reshaped, reshaped to be more like him. And by the by, 
you will more and more see all of that focusing on him. It is his work in you. And you'll particularly start to see all this very clearly in Jesus. The Word of God made flesh. This is the ultimate revelation of God to humankind, that Jesus Christ was sent for us from heaven. He died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and on the third day was raised again. He ascended back to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. All power and authority has been given to him, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And in the meantime, he is building his church and making all things new by the power of his word. God willing, we'll start a new series next week, focusing in a bit more on Jesus at the centre of all this. We want to open Matthew's Gospel together and take a very careful look at just who Jesus is and what he did for us. So look forward to that. But in the meantime, as we finish up today our series in the Psalms, I want you to follow up on this one here and set your heart to this meditation of God's Word for you in these Scriptures. Pray as you go, of course, and trust him too that he will use this word to reshape you and work new life into you. And know from this psalm that all of it will be for your good. The sun is just the beginning. You and I are God's workmanship too. And through this, we too will declare the glory of God. So go with him on this. Amidst all the other busy distractions of the daily grind, make time to find yourself in his word as a priority, because in it there is great reward. And after all the other distractions of the world one day fade away, because they will, God's word and the reward in God's word will remain. This will endure forever. And this alone is perfect Sure, right, pure, clean, true, and altogether righteous. This is what you need. It's not opinion X or or product Y or YouTuber Z that's going to see us through at the end of the day. It is God's word that will revive our souls. It is God's word that will make us wise. It is God's word that will gladden our hearts with, with real joy. And it is God's word that will enlighten our eyes to the path of life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we have your word open in front of us again today. And we pray that as we try to process this psalm, you would have it find its mark in our hearts that we would be constantly reminded of you and and your power and your glory in creation all around us. And so too that we would let that truth filter through to how we respond to your word to us in these scriptures, that we would see your power and your glory in this too and, and, and in the goodness of your design and your instruction for us in life. Please help us as we do that, Lord. Please help us to sit under your teaching and instruction And as we do that, Lord, 
Have your Holy Spirit reshape us the way that you desire us. Carve your truths onto our hearts for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.